Welcome to British Literature Before 1800, a podcast accompanying the course English 2610 at Utah Valley University. This week, we're discussing Mary Wollstonecraft's A Vindication of the Rights of Woman. We're also discussing themes about educating women, feminism, and why she is a hyena in a petticoat. So let's dive in with a conversation about Mary Wollstonecraft herself. She was born in 1759, and she died in 1787. She was married to a man named William Godwin, but she had two daughters, one named Fanny and the other named Mary. Mary would go on to marry Percy Shelley, so Mary Shelley is the author of Frankenstein. So we see with uh, William Godwin and Mary Shelley and Mary Wollstonecraft that together we have a dynamite family with oodles of intellectual brains. Um, And the fact that Wollstonecraft had this writing legacy that informed her own daughter's life. So her work was um, inspired a lot by the things that she saw throughout her own life. So she was the daughter of a farmer um, and she taught school and worked as a governess and things that inspired her really came to the foreground when she started to look at the the, um, unrest that was happening in uh, the French Revolution. So A Vindication of the Rights of Woman was written in 1792, which is the same year that she went to observe the French Revolution in Paris. This is also, um, she moved there to Paris with an American captain. Uh, She and the captain had a daughter named Fanny, Um, But that relationship with the captain didn't last, and Mary Wollstonecraft did actually attempt suicide uh, shortly thereafter. So she returns to London, and she works with this influential and radical group, um, which gather in the home of William Godwin, who ultimately becomes her her husband. There's other great minds that are gathering here, so including Thomas Paine, Thomas Holcraft, uh, William Blake, William Wordsworth, really, really wonderful, brilliant minds. Um, In 1796, uh, she began her relationship with Godwin. Um, Mary, who would go on to be Mary Shelley, uh, was born in 1797. And Mary Wollstonecraft died shortly thereafter. So um, Wollstonecraft continued to write for the, the entirety of her life. But A Vindication of the Rights of Woman is one of the most foundational and trailblazing works of feminism that we have Um, So feminism wasn't really an idea or a concept that was structurally sound at this point, but she basically writes this work that says that the educational system of the time is basically training women to be frivolous, stupid, and incapable, and that there needs to be some very systemic reform in children's education that would actually allow women to have a greater capability, not just as mothers or wives, but also as capable workers within professions. Now, this isn't to say that this is a flawless work. There's a lot of radical material here, but there's also a lot of conservative material. And it's important to realize that she is, she really is presenting some groundbreaking ideas that cause a lot of controversy and a lot of failed reforms and lots of debate. But she is really pushing the boundaries and being very logical and programmatic about her explanation of why there is a fundamental problem in the way that we educate women. So most of the reforms that she is proposing in terms of education are founded in the way that 
a lot of people viewed the differences between genders. A lot of people viewed women and young women and children to be more susceptible to sensibility to this idea of overwrought emotion with a, a distinct lack of rational capabilities. As a result, it is something that she has to really push hard against in her writing to make sure that she doesn't come off as a sentimental writer, that she has to present this as a rational kind of work. So when you're reading this, pay attention to the rhetoric that she's using. Pay attention to the balance that she has to strike between logical prose and sensibility. Sensibility is still a persuasive and common motif in this time of writing, but it's one that's starting to kind of wane and it's one that people expect women to kind of lean into. So she has to walk this really fine tightrope between sensibility, making sure people understand that there is an emotional reason for her to have these perspectives, but she also has to have a logical reason for this as well. And so she has to be able to balance those things and never veer into sentimentality in a place where it will undermine her argument. So Wollstonecraft also takes as one of her starting points the idea that this needs to be something that is rectified in the children's education specifically. She actually, in 1787, had a book, a conduct book that she wrote called Thoughts on the Education of Daughters, where she actually tries to line out the ways that she thinks that young women should be educated. Um, these kinds of conduct books were traditionally more of a kind of like, oh, this is how you pour the tea. This is how you acknowledge a duchess, that kind of conduct. Whereas she's trying to say, okay, it should also include education. So early on in the vindication of the rights of women, she says, my main argument is built on this simple principle that if women uh, if woman be not prepared by education to become the companion of man, she will stop the progress of knowledge and virtue for true, uh, for truth must be common to all. So the idea here that educational principles and the principles of truth and intellect are true across genders and that if women aren't allowed access to that intellectual and rational part of thinking, then who's to blame for them becoming shallow, vapid individual creatures? Of course, we're, the women are going to be obsessed with dress and manners if that's all they're ever given access to through their education. So Wollstonecraft can actually be very, very stinging in her critique of women. She sometimes calls um, women silly spaniels or toys, but she's not actually describing this as a disgust of women in general. It's a disgust of what women become if they're not given access to rational thought. And so conduct books such as Fordyce's Sermons, which if you are a Jane Austen fan, you might recognize as one of the books that Mary Bennett and Parson Collins tried to kind of force on the Bennett sisters, where it's like, women should just be beautiful flowers and their virtue is the most important thing that they own. Whereas Wollstonecraft's like, screw that. A woman's brain is something that we need to educate and value. A few of the other grounds upon which Wollstonecraft builds her ideas are the ideas of um, republicanism. Again, she went to Paris to see the French Revolution, and this is where the um, ideas of liberté, qualité, fraternité are ruling the day, the idea that there is this common aspiration that we hold. This is a Republican kind of manifesto that she's creating, and it's something that is trying to 
kind of collapse some of the binaries between men and women because during the French Revolution, there is a lot of empowerment of the female figure. That being said, the French Revolution becomes something that is actually quite divisive in England. Initially, it's like, hurrah, go French, up the Republic kind of thing. But then it gets to be like, ooh, creepy guillotines are coming in here. Maybe we're not so comfortable. And then they get worried that the revolution is going to come over into England. So her Republican views, again, make her champion the ideas of Republicanism, but in a time when that's a very volatile thing to be discussing. So when it comes to talking about her as a feminist, this isn't necessarily a simple thing to to discuss. First of all, because feminism isn't a simple thing to discuss. There are a bajillion definitions of feminism and have had those for centuries. Um, And again, feminism as a concept wasn't really an established thing when she wrote this. So it's not always cut and dry as far as where she fits in the feminist movement, other than to say she is a benchmark. She's doing important work for women's rights. But when it comes to discussing the idea of feminist movements and where Wollstonecraft fits in it, this is something that I would love to address in our classroom, the idea of how do we define feminism? How does feminism in 2020 differ from feminism in 1790? Um, And where is that kind of spectrum along the way and how has Wollstonecraft fared during those times is definitely worth discussing. She has a lot of complex ideas that seem both conservative and extreme that deserve a little bit of attention and parsing out. So let's take just a moment to also talk about the way that this text was received when she wrote this. Um, Again, there was some very, very positive reviews. It was almost an immediate success. Uh, um, A second edition was released in in the same year that it was first published. So there was a lot of consumption of her ideas. It, it was popular. That being said, there were people on the conservative side of things who really took Wollstonecraft to, to task. Um, other women who were more conservative, who had platforms that were like, that woman is not virtuous. She is scandalous. Um, you know, she, she had children when she wasn't married. What is this woman talking about when she's giving us ideas about the education of women, conservative attacks, whereas some of the more progressive uh, ideas are are ones that kind of talk about problems that they take with her ideas. The ones that kind of engage with her ideas are actually the more interesting critiques, but they're the ones that don't get maybe as much press. So as the title of this podcast indicates, there was obviously a lot of men who were threatened by Wollstonecraft's ideas as well. Um, So Horace Walpole is the one who described her as a hyena in a petticoat. And Walpole is actually a famous author. He was famous for writing gothic novels at this point. Um, so, so he's kind of considered the first gothic novel writer, which those works really rely on sentimentality and frail females that just are overcome by emotion. So, you know, he's not threatened by her ideas at all. But other people also were kind of engaging with her on these these kind of personal attacks. And so there are people, you know, people who are creating uh, satires called like the vindication of the rights of brutes, because, you know, if women have rights, why not animals too? Um that was written by a man. So I want to acknowledge that um, writers that come after Wollstonecraft, like Mariah Edgeworth and Jane Austen, were deeply influenced by the ideas that Wollstonecraft sets forward. We won't be reading any of Mariah Edgeworth's work for this class, although I totally encourage you to do so. Um, her works like Belinda and Castle Rackrent, 
are beautiful, beautiful books. And Mariah Edgeworth um, is kind of a influence on Jane Austen, who we will read at the end of the semester. So when we read Persuasion, it's worth looking at the ways that Wollstonecraft's ideas emerge in depictions of women in persuasion. So the way that Anne Elliot is presented as a rational being with a balance between rational and sentimental. Also with the ideas of the way that education is part of the way that these women are formed. It's all worth studying those nuances. So in conclusion, I want to talk a little bit about adaptation. The Vindication of the Rights of Women really did have a lot of different adaptations in terms of women writers who came after her, like I've already mentioned. But it's also adapted for uses in the suffragist movement. It's adapted in works like those by Virginia Woolf. But most recently, and most fortuitously, actually, for this class, is the idea that the vindication of the rights of women was so powerful, Mary Wollstonecraft was so formative, that she recently got her her own statue in England. And this was the work of a committee that was pushing to have um, a statue of Wollstonecraft for years. Um, I, I will I will say that I also was a signer of the petition to get a statue for Wollstonecraft. Um, there was a whole campaign that was like, where's Wooly? Um, the idea that she she deserved a statue and hadn't had one, you know, for, for all of these years. So literally days ago on the 10th of November, there was an unveiling of a statue for Mary Wollstonecraft. So the sculpture was created by Maggie Hambling and it was unveiled and it almost immediately got some serious backlash. We will be discussing this more in class, but the sculpture is getting backlash because there is a small nude female figure at the top of the sculpture, sculpture and then the rest of the sculpture is kind of amorphous female figures that kind of are this, this mist that she's rising from. And the debate on whether this is an effective sculpture or not center around the idea of, you know, is it just ridiculous that we have another female nude sculpture because that can't possibly represent every woman, um, much less Mary Wollstonecraft, versus those who say, oh, with, if this is kind of showing the struggle to emerge regardless of the fact that class and education are involved. So there's a lot of heated debates, but the most vocal are those that absolutely loathe the sculpture that's in honor of Mary Wollstonecraft. So when you're doing your own adaptations, there are some options here for you. Um, I, I would maybe encourage you to thinking about how you would create a, a sculpture or memorial in honor of Mary Wollstonecraft. Or I also would be very, very interested to see how one might break down this idea of Mary Wollstonecraft's reforms in something like a comic strip or something like that, that kind of makes her ideas accessible. Um, so as we kind of think about our conversations that we're going to be having in class next time, um, remember that Mary Wollstonecraft was a controversial figure, but powerful, powerful words that move us and propel us into feminism. So to me, Mary Wollstonecraft is definitely a badass hyena in petticoats. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. I really look forward to talking about this with you more in class. Next week, we'll be discussing Jane Austen's persuasion, also talking about Anne Elliot's beauty regimen and how to get your man back.